Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. If you'll turn your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28. And then after that, we'll be spending some time in 1 Kings, I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 4. Deuteronomy 28, starting with verse 1. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shalt be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thine kin, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord, the Lord shall cause thine enemies to rise up against thee, to be smitten, that rise up against thee, to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. Oh, God is good. Seven ways. Just jumped out at me. Didn't even realize it. Seven ways. And the Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses in all that thou settest thine hand to do or unto. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. We're a blessed people. Amen. Amen. It started out with a little bit of us playing a role and playing a part in that blessing, us setting things in motion, us playing our part and our role. If thou hearken diligently, diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments. I love the word of God. And once again, it's filled with principles. It's filled with promises. And applying the principles becomes the provision for the promises. Amen. That's what we just read. Before I get too carried away or started too much, this is probably a little out of the norm but I do just want to ask, Sister Gruber, were you by any chance praying yesterday in between 6 and 9 o'clock? No, last night. So we were leaving (laughs) our Bible study, and Miranda's like, I wish I had wrote it down what time exactly it was, but I could feel the prayer of Sister Gruber. And I'm just mentioning that because it's real. (laughs) And we're embarking on something tonight that's powerful. And it's biblical. It's epic of biblical proportions. God moves. God is powerful. And God's going to (laughs) honor the faith of his people. God is going to honor the faith of his people. 
Without faith, there would be none of the application of God's principles and promises. Amen. So with that, 2 Kings chapter 4. A familiar passage. A familiar sermon. But I want to talk for just a minute. Not so much about the chamber on the wall. We've heard it preached that way. But I just want to talk about the investment. An investment that is eternal. And things we invest in, how we invest into the kingdom of God, into people's lives. Starting with verse 8. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, and there was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread, and so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. <laughs> so we have this great or notable woman, the Shunammite woman. I would say probably one of the most famous women in the Bible. She recognized something as she's noticing day, as days go by. It wasn't every day, but in his traveling back and forth between the school and the prophet and his places of ministry, Elisha's walking past the property of the Shunammite woman. And there was something sensitive about her. She had a sensitivity or perhaps a discernment, but something stirred her. She realized that there was something special about this man. I suppose it's possible that she knew of him or knew who he was. It's entirely possible that she did. He, he was the, the prophet. And, uh, but she did something that's recorded in the word of God that we don't see everyone else doing. She stepped out in faith. She did something. She put something into motion by her actions and by her deeds. She restrained him as he passed by and he turned in to eat bread. In verse 9, we read that she says to her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be, and it shall be, when he cometh to us, that he shall turn in thither. What I need to point out first of all is that she reached out to the man of God and she drew the man of God in. That in and of itself was a powerful thing, but it wasn't enough. She wanted to make a place for the man of God to dwell. Now, Drawing a parallel here, we know that Elisha is representative of the presence of God. And so we see the necessity of us to reach out to God and to draw God in. Now, don't get me wrong here. I don't think we ever find God. God's never been lost. God finds us. Right? Think of it. God's not lost. We need Jesus. But the whole idea of covenant relationship and free will and choice, it's our choice to reach for him. It's our choice to open up our hearts and expose ours, ourselves, drop our defenses, and, and be open and, and transparent with him. And so she reached for him, but that wasn't enough. She wanted him to, 
come and dwell and to stay. And so when you think about what this would look like, I've heard it described as perhaps, you know, that, that they built a room all the way around perhaps the building, uh, the, the current home. Um, but we also see that from other scriptures and, and even in, with Elijah that it was probably a, a room up on top of the house that they built for the man of God. And any renovation is costly. It takes an investment and it takes sacrifice. I know this. I've got a seven or eight year, maybe nine year project going on in my basement. I'm trying to wrap up even now. And it's costly. It takes time. It takes effort. And it takes an investment. And it's interesting to me that it's the Shunammite woman that is the one that is sensitive and the one that is perceiving and I in no way am, am comfortable just leaving it on my wife, man. <laughs> That's not the point of the story. That's not the point of the example of Scripture. But we do see and we would, we would come to the conclusion probably that the husband wasn't quite as interested. He's not at the front of this story. But what I would also say is that he does agree to facilitate hmm, the presence of God regardless. Let me say this. This much I know to be true. In, in my walk with God and in my wife, in Miranda's walk with God, there has been times absolutely when I could feel that she, it was kind of like a, a rubber band effect is the best way I can describe this. There has been times when I felt like she had gone on before in her walk with God, in the depth of her walk with God. And I know for certain there's times when, when I, I sprung past her a little bit and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. And, and we complete each other for sure. But if anything, it's inspiring and it's encouraging. And if anything, it helps keep one another. But if you ever felt that way or if you feel that way, that perhaps your spouse, husband or wife, man, I, I just don't quite get it like he or she gets it. It's all right. Just keep on keeping on. Just keep on reaching. Keep on facilitating. Keep on making a way and, and, and laying out the provision for it. God is going to go ahead and do a work. He's going to continue a work. He is faithful to complete what he started. Amen. So that's all right. And I'm just being honest with you. There's been those times when I felt it. I don't know who's where right now. It just feels good all the way around. <laughs> So they make a chamber on the wall. They put the, they put the provisions in there. And when he cometh to us, that he shall turn in thither. Verse 11, and it fell on a day, lo and behold, when they made the provision, when they put forth, forth the effort, what happens? Behold, when that day, when it fell on that day, he came in thither and he turned into the chamber and he laid there. Now, greater men than me have preached about building this chamber on the wall and articulated it way beyond whatever I could. But there's truth to it. These things are written, as 1 Corinthians tells us, for our example. And there's a principle here that we can apply. 
And so as we're living for God and as we're uh, sometimes toiling for God and, and as sometimes it's, it seems like it's more work than reward, there are times like that. But that's all right. There's seasons that come and there's seasons that go. And there's seasons for harvest. It's, it's, it's interesting how prevalent sowing and reaping and planting is in the New Testament and in particular in the Gospels. Right? And so there's seasons. Don't get distracted by the seasons. Keep planting, keep planting, keep putting that provision out there because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Galatians, Galatians tells us in chapter 6, verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. In the season, you will reap. Amen? And so, they made the investment in what happens and what will happen. God's going to come in. God's going to occupy. God's going to increase and grow. He's going to grow you. He's going to grow me. Amen. As a result of this, verse 12, and he said, or Elisha says to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said on, he said on him, or Gehazi, or Elisha says unto Gehazi, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care, what is to be done for you. And I remind you of our opening scripture. If you're diligent to do these things, to apply my principles, my laws, my, my statutes, it's going to bring blessing. It's immutable and it's unchangeable. It's fact. It will happen. There's no way around it. Amen. What would we do for thee? Wouldst thou that? Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? Two things that are going on here. I'll remind you. It's only we're in four, chapter five. We see clearly that Israel's in a time of turmoil. And so this Shunammite woman, there's, there's uncertainty all around them. The Syrians are coming and they're raiding at will. They're, they're raiding Israel. And so it's a time of uncertainty. And so <laughs> there's an offer made because of what you've done, because of what you have provided, what you have invested, because you've been careful for us, for me, for God. What would you like? What could we do for you? Could we give you protection? The captain would represent protection from the enemies. It would give them security. Or to the king, to know a king. It's, it's so prevalent. I, I don't know. I, I, I do my best not to, to care so much about the famous and the rich. You know, and we go-to events, a sporting event or whatever, whatever it may be. And I, I just, me personally, I, I've always avoided getting the signatures and things of that nature because they're not a hero to me and they're not an idol. And they get paid better than what they probably should to do what they do. But she's being offered to know the king, to know the king. This is already a prominent woman. 
This would elevate her social status. No doubt about it. So the offer is, because of what you've done, would you like protection? Would you like elevated social status? And I'm reminded of a scripture that says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All right? Hmm. And her response is, and she answered, I dwell among mine own people. Reminded of another scripture where Paul says, In all things I've learned to be content. In the good times and the bad times, in the times of plenty, in the times of lacking, I've learned. You know that scripture, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me? You realize that's following Paul saying, in the good, the bad, in the good times, the bad times, the times of of plenty, in the times uh, of lack, in the times of, of joy, in the times of sorrow, I've learned in all times to be content. You know what he's saying. Really, when we really are close with God, we're just like this. And we're not like this. We need to be striving. We don't get too excited in the good times. And we don't get too down in the moly grubs in the bad times. When we learn to be content in God. And it's interesting that she's saying, I don't need any of that stuff. I've got everything I need. I've got the presence of God. I've got the man of God in my life. I prepared a place and I am ah, content. There's power in that contentment. And once again, it all was laid in motion. It was all set in motion by preparation, by some sacrifice. Hmm. It was an investment. It was an investment in the eternal. Amen. Amen. She answered, I dwell among mine own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, verily, she had no child and her husband is old. I'll jump ahead in the story. Perhaps you already know. Gehazi is spiritually dull. Gehazi does not, I don't know how he, he got into the position he got to be uh, the servant of Elisha. But I remind you, Elisha was the servant of Elijah. And look what he became. The whole idea of the double portion. And you look at their lives, uh, it blows my mind because Elijah, it's recorded in the Bible, he's referred to as, as probably a greater prophet than Elisha, but Elisha had twice as many miracles, and, and he had a double portion of the anointing of Elijah. And, and then you look at their lives, and most of the time Elijah was running around in fear for his life from Ahab and from Jezebel, and not one time do we see that from Elisha. Elisha, instead, he's surrounded by a whole army of Syrians, and what does he say? Ha! Boom! God, make them blind. Makes them blind. And then he turns around and says of his servant later on, and take their sight and give it to my servant so he can see the armies of the Lord encompassed round, uh, surrounding the army of the Syrians. Elijah was never recorded of seeing those things. And I'm not ripping on Elijah. He's an incredible man of God. Elisha was able to obtain a double portion because Elijah paved the road for him. He went before. 
And, and really, that's the way it should be. We should be able to look at the examples of our elders. We should be able to look at the example of those who've invested into God, who've walked before us, who've made a way, who, who have built those chambers and made those sacrifices, and look at the results of it. And if anything, we should be able to learn from them and be that much further along. Thank God for those who've come before. Oh, thank God. Thank God for those who've come before us. But my point was, Gehazi, we know where, where the story goes, and if you don't, we'll get there. But he's spiritually inept. He's not really in tune. He's not really got a heart. So I'm not sure how he got there, and it's, it's, it's sad how he squandered the opportunity. What could have been? God's math is different than our math. It might start with, well, one, you'd think one plus one would equal two, but with God, it becomes multiplication really quickly. You know, if one could put a thousand to flight, two put ten thousand to flight. It don't make sense. That's God's math. It's not the same as ours. What could have been with Gehazi if he had gone ahead and invested huh, rather than wanting to receive? Just thinking about it. So Gehazi's answer, well, she doesn't have a child. And I'll, I'll, I'll point out, she didn't ask for a child. Husband's old, beyond childbearing, bearing years, whatever, producing years. She didn't ask for a child. It was Gehazi's idea. Huh. So he, Elisha, called her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door and he said, About this season, according to, thy, to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaiden. I don't think it's necessarily that she didn't want the child. She just didn't want to be toyed with. It wasn't her request. And so if you're going to do this thing, you better see it through. And what God huh, is going to do, he'll see through. If there's a point we can get out, is what God started, God will finish. Amen. Amen. And so, she's a woman of faith. <laughs> probably getting a little excited, but trying to keep even keel. I, I think what we're seeing is that she wasn't like this. The ups and the downs. She's just saying, if you're going to do this, that's fine. It just better be all right. Because my husband's a little bit older, but perhaps she's not super young either. I don't need the drama in my life. Maybe, maybe, I'm just saying. But don't lie to me. Don't mess around. Verse 17, and the woman conceived and bare a son at that season. Everyone say at that season. At that season, it's going to happen. I can't determine the season. You can't, and trust me, we probably don't want to. Just let God determine the season. He knows what he's doing. He's pretty good at this. He's been doing it a long time. But there will be a season. Oh, there will be a season. Amen. The woman conceived and bare a son at that season, and Elijah said unto her, or as that Elijah said unto her, according to the time of life. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to the father and to the reapers, and he said unto his father, my head, my head, and he said to another lad, carry him to his mother. 
And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. The son is dead. He's not breathing. There's no life. He's dead. Now here's where it gets good as far as I'm concerned. Here she is with a dead child that she didn't ask for, but that she was blessed with. I don't think she wanted a drama in her life. She likes her spiritual life like this. But now all of a sudden, here's some drama or perhaps a test of faith. Perhaps the most powerful part of the story is that she's got a place of faith to place the child. Okay, didn't see this coming. This isn't really my cup of tea. But I've got a place that I prepared. She had a place that she had invested, that she had put time into. Perhaps for you and I, it's a time and a slot in our lives to faithfully be praying, to faithfully be studying and reading the word of God, to faithfully be working on our covenant relationship with him. Oh, I love the word of God. I was having a conversation with, with a young man, and, and we were talking about churches, and he's of a, of a different faith. And the church he goes to, he really, really likes. And I'm all about the word. I mean, if you want to know God, he gave us, he gave us some pretty clear um, insight into who and what he is how he is, what he likes, what he doesn't like, uh, what, what he loves, and how he loves, and who he loves. It's all in here. And, wow, well, I, I really like my church because it's so great at connecting people with people. And, and I, I'm really gentle in these situations. I, I don't move real quick. And I'm not going to just cram anything down anyone's throat. God hasn't come yet. He's coming soon. But I'm going to try and use discernment and discretion. And I do believe soul work is slow work. And I do believe in laying a foundation. And I do believe, I do believe in making an investment and laying line upon line, precept upon precept, building relationships. But I don't care about connecting people with people. The thing that hit my heart was, man, I just want to connect you with God. And the best way I can do that is to share his word with you. And then we can get into the spirit, spending time in prayer, spending time in the word of God. Oh, I'm telling you, nothing else is going to work. We can get together and make each other feel good all we want them. So then we feel better. Mission accomplished. No, I don't want to feel good. I don't see one time in scripture, not one time, where, where God promised, I will make you feel good. I don't care if you feel good. God wants you to be right with him. God wants your heart to be right. And I'm not sorry to say this, but we have a lot of heart issues. None of us is perfect yet. We sing the song from the time we're a child. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, Jupiter and Mars. But he's still working on me. And I'm realizing, oh my word, every time I take a peek, he's got a lot of work left to do. And it's not because he's slow. It's just because, you know what, I need to let the, hmm, his word shine upon my heart. The word sanctifies. 
The word heals. The word is truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Yeah, you've been set free, but it's still making you. And so it doesn't always feel good. I'm going to say this every time I get a chance. It doesn't feel good. <sighs> but it's also right. God's still doing a work. So I'm not making you feel good or just connecting you with people. I want to connect you with God. Connect you with the word. Okay. Back to the word. <laughs> she had a place. She went up in verse 21 and laid him on the bed. Thank God that there was a bed. Thank God that there was a room. Thank God that there was a place that she had established. She didn't even have to think about it. I don't even think she freaked out about it. She had a place to go. Why? Because she had established it. She had invested it. She put time into it. I know just what to do with this. It's not my problem. I didn't ask for it. <laughs> it's God's problem. Put him in the right place. Put him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. Now, if you'll let me, and if you'll receive it, there's some things we need to just set in God's hands. In that place we prepared, a place of faith, and leave it in God's hands. She didn't, she didn't like, come at this with a two- or three-prong attack. Well, I'm going to cover all my bases, and let's go ahead and send for the doctor, and let's go ahead and, and whatever and whatnot. No, it's in the right place. It's in the place of faith. It's a place established, a place I'm familiar with, huh, the presence of God. She left the child there. And then she goes looking for the man of God. Now she gets permission, but once again, she's given the provision to do so. She came on to her husband and said in verse 22, Send me, I pray, the, uh, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. Now, you will do well to run to the man of God, but just remember, we're, it's, it's a parallel of the presence of God. We're talking about covenant relationship and establishing that place of faith and prayer and relationship with God. I'm placing this in your hands, God. And now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, ultimately, I'm gonna find you uh, wherever you may be. And, and just like the preacher said last week, there's times in all of our lives, I know this to be true, when we look to the left and we don't see God, we look to the right and we don't feel him, we look in front of us, we can't see him moving. We don't know what his plan is. We're wondering, what in the world are you thinking, God? If we were honest, and we'd say it kind of cringing a little bit, hoping that fire wouldn't come down from heaven. We look behind us and we can't see or feel God. God still knows exactly where you're at. He never forgets. He knows where you're at, regardless of whether we know and I, we know he's omnipresent, he's everywhere all the time, but come on, there's those times when we're reaching for him and we're just not seeing him move quick enough. Or we're just not seeing him move in the situation. He still knows. And he knows right where we're at. And the point is, she put the problem in the right place and then she went reaching for the right thing. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. 
It's not his normal path. It's not the normal pattern that we see of the prophet. Or it's not the normal pattern that we're used to seeing God move. Hmm. And she said, and I love this, I got this underlined. It shall be well. Are you kidding me? Didn't ask for the child. The child's dead. But with the place to put that child, the place of faith, she speaks a word of faith. It will be well. Okay, let me look to my notes for a second here. Faith displayed. This is faith displayed. Spoken, the spoken word. It is the physical evidence of spiritual substance. Life and death is in the tongue. What we speak. She spoke in faith that it would be well. Why? Because I have the child in a place of faith and I know where I need to run to. He's still dead, but it will be well. Faith. It'll be well. It will be well. I, mm. You put it in the right place of faith. And you keep reaching for God, and it will be well. I don't even have to promise you. It's immutable and it's unchangeable. It's a precept and concept of God. It's in his word, the realm of faith. Amen. Then she saddled an ass in verse 24 and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? Gehazi runs. He goes and he meets the Shunammite woman and he asks her exactly what he was told to. Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And notice the response. She answered and she answered, it is well. I believe she knows. I believe she's spiritually sensitive. She knew who the man of God was. She was sensitive to that. I believe, and this is just me, I believe she realizes that this man is lacking. This man doesn't have the answer. This man is hollow. I believe she discerned it. She was a woman of discernment. She answered, it is well. And when she came to the man of God, to the hill, she caught him by the feet. And there you have it. I put the child, I put the issue, I put the problem where it needs to be. I shut the door. In shutting that door, you know what it did? It not only kept other people out, but it also kept her out. And it kept the child in the right place, in the right perspective, so that she could focus on going and grabbing a hold of what she needed to get a hold of. You know, that's what we're doing tonight. We're going to be getting a hold of something. I'm certain you feel the same way. But when my alarm clock goes off, I'm going to be on a mission. I'm going to be grabbing a hold of something. 
There's going to be purpose behind what I'm doing and what you're doing. Why? Because there's a principle behind it. And it's a principle of faith. It's a kingdom concept. Mm. Grabs hold of them. Caught him by the feet. And then that spiritual giant, Gehazi, came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. It's all right. Sometimes we'll miss the mark. Sometimes we're not going to quite know what's going on. I didn't feel last night. Sister Miranda felt it. That's all right. God will reveal when it needs to be revealed. God wanted to show us something here. God was setting something in motion for us so that we could get a spiritual truth. Then she said, "Ah, Did I desire a son of my Lord? I didn't ask for the child. This wasn't my idea. You decided to bless me with this. God, you gave me this. This was never mine to begin with. It's always been yours. God, I've never held this like this. I've always held it like this. It never was mine, and it was never within my control to hold or to keep. It's always been yours. Just Doesn't that idea just make you feel good realizing? If it's not mine, it's not my problem. Yeah, there's things I have to do and responsibilities. She had to take care of the child and nourish the child. But what was out of her realm was only in God's. What was out of her ability, God only could deal with. And in the right perspective, God, I didn't ask for this. You gave it. What was her response? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, gird up thy loins and take my staff in thine hand and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again and lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord liveth and as my soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. I think this is a key moment. I don't need to get back to my son. My son is in the right place. I, I, don't, need to, I don't need to reach for that prodigal. The prodigal's in the right place. I, I don't need to take care of this issue right now. That issue's in the right place. Where I need to be is with you. <laughs> God, at the end of it all, nothing else matters other than you anyways. And so I'm not leaving your side. I'm staying with you. And I don't really put much stock or faith in Gehazi anyways. It doesn't seem like he's got much depth to his relationship. I have a feeling it's not going to work out so well for him in the end. I'm staying with you. (sighs) And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awakened. 
And let me just make this point here, too, because we'll have moments, I'm sure, where we're going to struggle tonight. So let me just tie this in. Perseverance. We're going to see the man of God perseveres. Doesn't just go up to the room and try one time. Gehazi, he put a half, half, I don't even know how to say it. He didn't put a whole lot of effort into it. Well, I did what I was told and nothing happened. I guess it wasn't meant to be. We'll see something different from Elisha. And when Elisha was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. And he went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain, and prayed unto the Lord. And he, and he went up and lay upon the child, and put his mouth upon his mouth, and his eyes upon his eyes, and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Huh. It waxed warm, but he's not breathing. Not yet. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. It took two times. But there was warmth in the body. There was something starting to move. Something was set in motion. So it didn't happen even right away for the prophet, for the man of God, but something was started. Now, let's just think about this for a second. So the Shunammite woman is with Elisha all the way back to the home. When they get to the home, she does not go with the man of God behind the closed door. What do you think that looked like when the man of God came out of the room and is pacing back and forth, scratching his head a little bit? We don't think about these things. (laughs) He had to regroup for a second, but he wasn't done. I I just can't, I'm just going to ponder for a little bit. Think of it for just a minute. Is it possible? Maybe it is. Maybe her faith waned a little bit. I don't know. The the Bible doesn't go into detail about it. But either way, we don't see her complaining. We don't see her questioning. She's still just waiting and trusting. Why? Because her son is in the right place. A place that's been prepared, a place of faith. And she's grabbed a hold of the right thing. Elisha goes back up. Now, here's where it gets interesting. I'm going to kind of tie it in together, and then we'll close it up. I didn't... When I'm reading the Word, I'm trying to get something, and I'm trying to look for that deep meaning. I think, well, why sneezing? Seven, okay, anytime there's seven in the Bible, we know we don't have to look too deep that realize we can tie seven into something, Right? But, but why the sneezing? And, and I ran out of time, so I don't know. I, I didn't even have time to ask Siri. But, but, if memory serves me correctly, I, I thought I remember, I think I remember, I, someone old at some point in my life telling me that the reason why we say, God bless you, after someone sneezes, I think it's like a superstition type of a thing that, Perhaps you stop breathing for a little bit. And I have a feeling when I go and get time and I ask Siri, I'm gonna, or I go to Google, it's gonna, it's gonna, there's going to be something there. So I might have just botched the sermon by saying all that, but I, I have a feeling that there's something there. I just ran out of time. <laughs> but the seven, 
ties me into another scripture. And we see something. And what we're seeing is a process that God is doing a work, but it's just going to take a little bit of time. And the body's already warming up, but the child's not breathing quite yet. And it's interesting because it doesn't say that he starts breathing and he opens his eyes. It says that he sneezes seven times and then let's read it so we get it right. And when Elijah was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead, 33, and he went up and laid upon the child. Verse 35, he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And then he calls Gehazi and said to the Shunammite, go call her. And when she was come in unto him, he said, take up thy child. And there ends this story. And let's briefly jump to the next. It's in the next chapter that we see uh, the story of Naaman. And, and, and if you know the story, and I know we do, how many times did Naaman, how many times when he came to the prophet uh, Elisha, how many times was he told to dip in the Jordan River? Seven times. And I'm going to tell you, the process was already starting, the first dip. Oh, it, the skin might not have changed yet, but there was faith being invoked. There was a principle being invoked. There was obedience that he was participating in. You know what's crazy about the story of Naaman? Huh. This was all set in motion by someone who had every right to deny Naaman his miracle. A little, what, uh, girl from Samaria who was a slave, who had been taken captive by the Syrians when they're raiding Israel, and yet it's her master. She's somewhere she doesn't want to be. She she, she doesn't belong there. It's not her fault. If anyone was wronged, it was her. If anyone had a reason not to to want a healing for someone, it, it would have been her. And yet she's the one that said, well, wait a second, in my country where I'm from, there's a prophet, and if you'll just go to that prophet, he'll heal you. All set in motion. And I guess I'll just make one little point about that. All this is bread and sacrifice. All of it is bread and sacrifice. It would take sacrifice if you'd been wrong like that to go and say, well, wait a second, I I I know where your answer is. putting myself aside in my present situation and how gloomy this looks, there's still a God that loves you and will heal you, all of you. I just find that incredible. But it was seven times that he had a dip in the river. He didn't even want to do it. He left the prophet's house all upset and angry. Here I'm this great man and and more or less Israel's serving us right now. Who are you to tell me to go in that disgusting river when the rivers where I come from are much cleaner? I will probably come out of that river with many more diseases. But there's obedience. And when he's applying, applying obedience... When his servant comes up to him and tells him, Master, what have you got to lose? You know, one point I'll make here is sometimes we make the wrong choice, but it's always right to do the right thing. 
And we can always turn around and do the right thing. Naaman turned around and did the right thing. And seven times he dipped in that river. And I would just propose to you that faith was already starting to work. Faith was already starting to uh, heal. There was something already happening. And that seventh time he comes up. And what does the Bible say? He comes up and his skin is like that of a child. And so I don't know, I can't really say to the sneezing part other than to say that God's already doing a work. And when things are left in the right place, a place that we've invested into, a prayer closet perhaps, a place of faith, a realm of faith, and we leave those things in the right place when we've invested oh so long ago, hmm, and then grab a hold of the right thing. What are we doing? We are investing into something eternal. And, and it may take time. It may take a lot of time. But God's faithful. You may not get the answer right when you want it. Leave it in the right place and grab a hold of the right thing. And what we're setting in motion right now Oh, God is so sovereign and God is all-knowing. And he's putting intricate things in place and details. We don't even have a clue. It'd be like playing chess against the computer. You're not going to win. He's going to win. (laughs) The computer knows. God knows. And he's for us. I'll remind you of the opening scripture. And so... It's amazing to me how many years later this can come back. And if you'll jump in in closing to to chapter 8. Chapter 8 and verse 1. Then spake Elisha unto the woman, whose son he had restored to life. This is the Shunammite woman. He says to her, Arise and go thou in thy household, and sojourn wheresoever thou canst sojourn. For the Lord hath called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land seven years. And the woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God. And she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. Seven years is a long time. And I don't know how much time has passed from when the child was first promised. But there's years gone by. And, and I would... I would I would propose that she's never quit preparing and she's never quit making provision for her relationship, for her covenant relationship with the presence of God, with the man of God. And all these years later, verse 3, and it came to pass at the seven years end that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines and she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. Does anyone remember what she was offered the very first time that she had made provision for the presence of God? She was offered what? Relationship with the king. All right? She was offered something else too. Security and protection. (laughs) And she's saying, what did she say? You know what? God's enough. God's enough. She went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. And, and, and I'm going to pause a second because what we're about to see is miraculous. 
It is nothing short of a miracle. Okay? And the king talked with Gehazi. There's your miracle. This shouldn't even be possible. Because if you read the end of 5, Gehazi is cursed with leprosy. And it was leprosy that would be with him his entire life and the generations to follow him. So he is not a healed man. Here is a leper in front of the king. This blows my mind. Every sermon I've ever heard was that the lepers had to be in their own place, set aside, and nobody wanted anything to do with them. And yet here we find a leper before the king because the king wants to hear stories of Elisha. This is nothing short of the providential hand of God. How many years later, because of what this woman had set in motion in preparation and investing into what is eternal? It doesn't stop there. The king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, saying, tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha has done. And it came to pass. What are the odds? What are the odds? <laughs> it came to pass as he was telling, as the leper is in front of the king, telling him stories of the man of God. It just so happens. No, this is God. This is God. This is a miracle. This is what God does. This is what he specializes in. <laughs> we would do well to specialize in preparing a place for him. <laughs> a place for him to dwell. A place for him to stay. We would do well seeking after him, reaching for him, and grabbing a hold and never letting go. Amen. came to pass as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead body to life. So not only is the timing just unbelievable, the very story that he's telling the king about when the woman walks into the courtroom, Gehazi is talking about her right then. That's amazing. You know what that is? That's marvelous, because that's the way God works. And behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, my Lord, my O king, this is the woman and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed unto her a certain officer <laughs> she didn't ask to meet the king and she didn't ask to meet the, the army or the guard or the officer and yet God at the right time had everything right in place to restore everything let's stand I call this provision for restoration it's what she said in motion Oh, so long ago, it was her faith that was displayed. I find it interesting, referring to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, I can't help but wonder if Newton had 
read the Bible and perhaps read that scripture. Because he kind of had this law, this third law of motion that he came up with. You know, it says something to the effect of for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. You know why that works? Because of God's law. You you know why that law, the physical laws (laughs) that man in his great intellect comes up with or comes to understanding of? You know why the law of gravity works? All the laws we can think of, if they work, it's because God set it in motion. This particular law of cause and effect, if you will, it works because of God's law of reaping and sowing, sowing and reaping. It's just the way it is. We serve an awesome God. And so, as I close, I hope this in some way imparts some faith because it's not just a story. And I know, I know the struggles come. I know it isn't always easy. (laughs) But I also know that we've been investing into the eternal. So as I open the altar, I would perhaps look at it two different ways. One would be retaking a look or taking inventory yet one time, one more time. And maybe it's time to do a little renovation. And perhaps it's time to make a permanent space and time and place for Jesus. And I would also say, Maybe it's a time of rejoicing because I know there's a great many of us who've been invested. And I know that there's a great many of us who've placed things in the right place in a realm of faith. And I'm just telling you, just keep reaching for God. He is faithful. And when he breaks forth, it's going to be marvelous. It's going to be marvelous. And if there's anything that's been on my heart, and this will be the last thing I say, I've gone too long already. I got this word, and I've shared it with a few people. I mentioned it just once, very lightly from the pulpit. But I am absolutely convinced that it's the favor of God. That opening scripture we read, that's God's favor. And when we're serving God, we have God's favor. And even when there's a closed door, and even when it doesn't seem like maybe he's there, That's still God's favor. He may just be keeping for a moment, keeping you from something. It's still God's favor. And just remember, you have God's favor. And it could be a thousand doors that are closed. But that one door that he's going to open, it's going to be magnificent. That's the result of an eternal investment. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus and incredible examples that you've laid out in scripture. So once again, God, let it be more than just a sermon, God, but let it hit our heart, bring it to our remembrance. God, because we hit those highs and we hit those lows so easily. Bring it back to our remembrance, God. And right here, right now, maybe this is a time of rejoicing, realizing, you know what? (laughs) It's just a confirmation I needed. God, I'm walking in your favor. And you're going to break forth in a mighty way. I believe this. I believe it. I believe it. And just like the Shunammite woman spoke it, it's all right. 
It's going to be all right. God has gone before. He's got me hemmed in before and behind. Your hand is upon this, Jesus, because of your favor, because of your grace. Amen, amen. The altar's open in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.